Good evening, afternoon, night, morning, whenever you find a way to watch or listen to this podcast. It is me, Omar, again, with my good friend, Jackson, uh, back for another week of hardware. And um, I want to be taking a hiatus of my own for one week due to being a, in a field exercise. Uh, but we'll be back the following week. But for the preview leading up to the week of October 21st, um, Jackson's going to get a, gonna get a guest host. But before we start, Jackson, how's everything going? Just glad to glad to be doing this right now. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's going good. Um, Today, I, I came to the realization as I was watching Good Morning Football, I was like, my gosh, man, after Monday Night Football this week, we will be a third through the regular season of the National Football League. And then I came to the further realization that, oh my gosh, after this week, we're pretty much going to be halfway through the regular season of college football, um, which was even more startling. So, uh, hard to believe that we're already at this point. I feel like we say that almost every week, but man, it, it really does fly by. Um, and it's the whole off season really from, I'm more of a draft Nick than you obviously. So I, I have something to look forward to until April. And then by May, I, I need a break from football. And then really like halfway through June, it, it goes by painstakingly slow in anticipation for the college football season to begin. Um, or at least preseason NFL football. And then by the time it's here, boom, done, flashing by. It's it's insane. So, um, yeah, man, I'm really excited for this weekend. Uh, we've got a lot of good games. And then we've also got – this is not one of my games of the week to watch, so this is in no way a spoiler. But I'm, I'm very fascinated by this San Diego State-Hawaii game that's kicking off at 11 p.m. on Eastern time because for both teams – with a win, like bowl eligibility is a very realistic possibility. And with a loss, it seems seemingly impossible. Like it's just, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy between the two of whoever wins. Oh, bowl eligibility is in your sight because you don't really, you at least have three, three very winnable games on your schedule. And then with a loss, it's impossible. It's not going to happen. So, um, but yeah, man, sorry. Went into a lot there, but I was thinking the same thing too when I was looking at uh, that game on the schedule because uh, San Diego State is uncharacteristically two and four, and Brady Hoke might be on the hot seat. Um, and something I've talked about before, like with my good friend Bobby of the TNT College Football Podcast, um, just messaging about where it's like, uh, I it's it's just weird that San Diego State can't recruit great running back, you know, running back talent. And someone said, you know, I wonder if there's a if there's a legend of the school that you know finished in the top five of the Heisman voting. Um, or I think it was number two in the Heisman voting that could, and that was an NFL legend that could help w- with recruiting running backs. And I'm like, how is San Diego state not using Marshall Falk as a, as a recruiting piece to get running backs? Um, Cause you know, I, I mean, I used to love San Diego state, you know, um, they, they were the pro style team of, um, I used to love their offensive scheme. I should say they, they were the pro style team of the group of five. So Interesting to see them in that spot. Hawaii, though, has been competitive um, in, you know, in a lot of games, you know, competitive against Vanderbilt on the road, going to the mainland in week zero, competitive at home against Stanford. Uh, in the middle so, of a construction site, mind you, too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then they beat New Mexico State, which New Mexico State looks like they, um, they, they've they hit their stride for the rest of this year in a week conference USA. We we could only have three or four bowl bowl teams out of conference USA this year. But uh yeah, so that that one is something that did catch my my attention. But um before we go on, I know uh I know you had some players of the week. Um some I uh, not players of the week I guess, but yeah, players of the week slash performances that uh caught your attention. 
performances of the week that uh render recognition of players okay we'll put it in long form so um yeah i i've got i've got three um so i'll go ahead or technically four but but you'll see shortly um i'll go with my my offensive performance of the week that i really wanted to point out was of course for my offensive player of the week defensive lineman jelani stafford from uconn um, and if anyone's confused listening to that, he also doubles as a fullback. I'll call him the JJ Watt of the Constitution State. Um, he he had two rushing attempts for two yards and two touchdowns um, on the road at Rice, and also a fumble recovery on defense. Um, man, it's it, five touchdowns on five rushing attempts. I think is pretty good on the year. I, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm no PFF analyst, but I think that's a pretty high success rate. Uh, UConn has found really a cheat code with one of their defensive linemen, and, and no one's really figured out how to stop him um, in Jelani Stafford. Usually when uh, when we have a big man touchdown or a thick six, as the kids say, um, it's like it's it's fun. It's style points. It gets you some highlights. It gets you some views on TikTok or Reels, but it's like, okay, it's not it's not really much of substance. It's not really anything that we're truly relying on. Man, he had a fumble recovery and two touchdowns in a game that ended up being won by seven points. I think I think that's a pretty major factor in a game. So, uh, shout out to Jelani Stafford, um, not getting enough love as a as a dual threat lineman and fullback. Um, I think it's really cool what he's doing. I don't know how long it'll last, but I'm here for the ride while it does. And if it's if it's uh, fill in the blank in goal where you're on, you know, the one or two yard line. I don't, and, and Jelani Stafford is in the backfield. I don't know how as a defense, you don't see him coming. And then if you do see it coming, which, you know, obviously you've been watching some film, if you do, um, I don't know how quite you stop it because he's a, he's a really big guy. So that's why he's playing defensive line in, in case you didn't know. So. So I hope, I know I tweeted this. I hope that, a team uses Jelani Stafford the same way that the Ravens use Patrick Ricard, which it, it's amazing how Patrick Ricard used to maneuver in kind of like the spread run scheme that um that the great Greg Roman used to or uh, not yeah the, the great Greg Roman you know used to run with Lamar Jackson, which like Lamar looks better as a passer this year, but um I mean I, I would love to see, I can see Stafford being on a team as like that kind of like player where it's like he can he moves fast for a two hundred ninety pounder which like. I still find it hard to believe that Patrick Ricard is 300 pounds. I got to think he's lighter than that, but a man, his size that moves the way he does, you know, it's no wonder he's like a three time pro bowler. So. Yeah, absolutely. No. Um, like I said, if we can get the nickname to catch, to catch on, like we did the Zach Wilson of the seven Hills, the JJ Watt of the constitution state. So um, I'll move on to my defensive performance of the week. I'm actually going to go with a pair of edge rushers. Um, I'm going to go with UCLA's Gabriel Murphy and Laatu Leitu. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, it's very late at night where I am. But uh, between the two against Wazoo, they had a combined 14 QB hurries, three quarterback hits, I believe a sack or two, and then another forced fumble. Um, that UCLA defense, I know the final score was 24-17, but that UCLA defense, they gave up 10 points the whole game. Seven of those points were from a pick six right before the half ended. And if you watch the game, Cameron Ward was was consistently pressured and threw his only two interceptions of the year against UCLA. 
Um, UCLA, re they really played some complimentary football on defense where there were a couple coverage sacks and there were also at least one of the two interceptions were from the pressure that the that the defensive line was bringing. So um, Gabriel Murphy and Leetu Latu, man, have been phenomenal so far on the year. They really had a great showing against a really good quarterback in Cameron Ward and who we think is a pretty good team in, team in Wazoo. Um, one last thing on them. Both are ranked in PFF's top 10 edge rushers so far in the year. So anytime you have, I believe Texas Tech had it last year, where anytime you had two edge rushers in the top 10 by PFF, you're doing pretty good. And I, I did not think a Chip Kelly coach team would have that. But you know what? Here we are. So. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, you see this Chip Kelly team having a signature performance on defense. I know a lot of people thought that fireworks were going to ensue for this game, but, you know, they, the, the especially in the second half, really shutting down that um that that Washington State offense. But I'm surprised that game was on the Pac-12 network, to be honest with you, with everything that was yeah. at State. Yeah, oh, I was really surprised, crazy. too. But uh, um, People brag, I do have the Pac-12 network now, so no credit of my own, but ever since, uh, ever since we made the move to Sling, so. Oh, shoot, that's I guess. I've made it in life, but I don't get the CBS Sports Network, but I don't watch Army football. So, you know what? I'm really winning. You don't watch Army or Northeast Conference football, obviously, because I'm watching St. Francis, uh, St. Francis versus Wagner right now. Very competitive uh, I, game. I've got one TV on Thursday night football with Kirk and Allen to call another on West Virginia, Houston. So, see, you're wasting your time because St. Francis Wagner this is the NEC's first nationally televised uh, conference game. So, history right yeah here, but, but this uh, is bro but denver at kansas city is taylor swift's third nfl game this year so i don't i don't know if she's actually yeah. there one but <laughs> also two i think i don't know if that's a good segue to go into my two players of the week oh uh, no that's a horrible off, segue yeah first off i'm gonna talk about the son of a pro of a pro football hall of famer i'm talking about eden james from howard and the howard bison it was in a losing effort but, man, did they really make a statement for the MIAC against Northwestern. And I said on this podcast last week that that was a trendy upset pick. And sure enough, like, North, like Howard, honestly, if you're North, if you're North, if you're North, Northwestern, for you to have to allow, like I said, Eden James run for 177 yards on, on, on a Big Ten front seven, there are some real, there are some huge, huge red flags there. That being said, Eden James had an amazing day. That is not a segue from him at all. 177 yards, a touchdown, and a 64-yard rush as Howard nearly beat uh, Northwestern in a 23 to 20 loss. Maybe next time, maybe next time, um, uh, they'll beat they'll beat Northwestern or they'll beat an FBS team. But man, I'm excited to see how this Miac race unfolds because. Davius Richards doing some great things for North Carolina Central, but Howard is like getting into their groove, even though they're two and three right now. And remember, it's a five-game conference season, and the prize is the Celebration Bowl. The prize is the appearance on ABC, uh, the appearance in uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. No, man, Howard is absolutely like doing some really good things over there, and they came just short against Northwestern, right? So... Um, now, I mean, a little bit of it, it, it was a little bit closer than the same Northwestern did get out to an early lead, but they made a, a, a valiant effort in an almost comeback. Um, and they had some really like solid performances, just got off to a slow start and against a, a team like Northwestern, it was, it was too much to, to come back from, but they did, they outplayed Northwestern for a pretty good chunk of the clock. It just wasn't the meaningful, uh, the meaningful times of the game so unfortunately so but no howard's been doing some awesome things and it's really cool to see them uh do accomplish what they've accomplished so far and hopefully continue obviously so 
Um, I'll go with my, actually, I assume that's your HBCU player of the week. Um, I'm going to go for my HBCU player of the week. Uh, I'm going to go with Aaron Allen, the quarterback from Alcorn State. Uh, went 20 for 31 and three touchdowns in a, a very tight victory versus Scrambling State. Um, I, I give Aaron a lot of credit for kind of being the playing point guard, so to speak, where he's really a great ball distributor. He had seven receivers with multiple receptions in that game, which is hard to do. Um, It's hard to do in general, but particularly in in this game, if you watch it, like Bramble was dominating the trenches, at least when Alcorn State was on offense. There was pressure virtually every play it felt like that Aaron was going against. So, and the fact that he could, you know, not necessarily, okay, just get my first read and get the ball out. Like, no, he was he was making very good reads and not easy ones. And they were trying to set up to to counter all the, you know, the the rushes that they were going against and all the defensive fronts. Like, they tried to get some, like, quick slants or some swing passes or some screens and they weren't going anywhere like the passes that really were successful were um they were going down the field and and had some air yards under them so um credit to Aaron for throwing the ball and, and distributing it really well um Alcorn is is very fortunate to come out on top of that game I will say they did have a missed extra point and missed field goal um, I mean, you could argue semantics because they also did have a pick six on the other side of the ball. So one thing I do know about that game, I know they don't win without Aaron Allen. So um, now this year he's been occasionally splitting duties with Tyler Macon through the, uh, the year. Um, I don't I don't really picture that happening anymore. I think Aaron's um, clearly one of the the better quarterbacks of uh, either the MIAC or SWAC, honestly. Like he he really showed what he's made of in that um and you know you can knock him for his stats you can knock him for whatever in this game that they're not great man just just watch the game it's on youtube there's a he the pressure he was facing throughout the game like a lot of quarterbacks fold under um so when you have that little time to throw and i think he only had like like oh my i want to say i don't have it in front of me but like 20 rushing yards on the whole game like he couldn't go anywhere either um he wasn't wasn't like Mahomes where he gets a little bit of pressure and he's able to scramble outside the pocket. Like it was just utter domination by, uh, by Grambling State's front seven. So I'll give credit to them, but Aaron got the better of that battle. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the quarterback talent that Al- Alcorn State's produced, of course, um, Stephen there comes to mind, but also too, Felix Harper is a, a gentleman mm, that could yes. definitely make the rounds, um, yeah. at least starting off in spring football in whatever that may look like with the merged USFL and XFL. Um, and then I think he should be uh, on a roster. I would personally, I, I personally love seeing fringe guys play because, like, um, I feel like a lot of guys get disserviced, you know, because they're on practice squads and people don't see them. So, like, a guy like EJ Perry, I think, you know, like our guy EJ Perry, I mean, I think the world was done a service by because of spring football because they got to see what he had to offer. Um, so I, I just want to see a guy like Felix Harper play. But yeah, like, definitely, like, he, like him following the footsteps of a guy like Harper is huge. For that program but uh um, also, no. also too i wanted to spotlight well surprisingly eden james is not my hbc player of the week there was actually a uh, a running back that had a, a much better game in in uh in black college football and uh last year darius hagan's uh ended up getting some some love out of virginia state got in the in the nfl pa bowl the very last nfl pa bowl sadly uh but and and then in the preseason for the packers hagan's killed it for the uh for the Packers uh scored a, a touchdown or two 
And it seems like Virginia State has a, a replacement in line because Kimani Clark had over had over 260 rushing yards and he had four touchdowns. I'm, I'm pulling up his exact stats against Bowie State, who Bowie State is a traditional power in the CIAA, but he had 21 carries for 244 yards with four touchdowns. So Kimani Clark is just following the footsteps of, of Darius Hagens. And I mean, honestly, like, Virginia State may be running back university in uh in black college football circles, even division two, if, if we're being real. So that's who I wanted to spotlight. And also on defense as well, wanted to note uh, a great performance from out of Albany, four and two out of the CAA. We have Dylan Kelly with 23 tackles over the weekend. So they're Albany's four and two with only losses to to Hawaii and Marshall. And they played Marshall pretty close. Neither loss was particularly a blowout. So Definitely a team watching the FCS circuit. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime that you have 23 tackles in a game, that is, man, you're flying to the ball. So um, I, I'd be interested to see get the the heat map on the uh, the opposing quarterback of that. See, man, is he throwing like like to that that left slant every time to the slot or something like that? I don't know in the linebackers just meeting there. No, uh, man, 23 tackles is insane. So. Yeah, exactly. So um, that being said, uh, I guess let's go on to our usual uh, Heisman talk. So this this week's kind of a big week for uh, the Heisman, which we'll, we'll get to. But starting off, I think the biggest riser in the Heisman race was Jawar Jordan, in my opinion. And yes, I'm going back on my running back soapbox. But Jawar, if you if you think about the recipe for uh, a team for a running back to win the Heisman, you kind of need a like a team that's a national contender, which Louisville definitely has a shot to go either 11-1 or 12-1, which there is a nightmare scenario that may unfold in the ACC where they have three te- uh, UNC, Florida State, and Louisville do not play each other in regular season. So they all can go 12-0. So that's a nightmare scenario that I think that's unlikely to happen, but it's still it's still a scenario. But Jawar Jordan had an absolutely great game for Louisville uh, last week against Notre Dame. And really like, I, I think one of the more important games in, in recent memory for, well, I guess in the post Lamar Jackson area for the program where Jordan had 21 carries for 143 yards and he, ex, and he increased his rushing totals to 87 carries for 653 yards on the year for eight with eight touchdowns. And if you look at Louisville, like, uh, like Jack Plummer is a great quarterback, but he's not as flashy as say the Caleb Williams, the Michael Penixes and whatnot. His stats aren't as flashy. But Jawar Jordan being on a national contender, 653 yards, I'd say there definitely is a shot, especially if they go head-to-head against Florida State and he has a big game there. All right, so I have a little um, I have a little uh, multiple-choice question that we're going to ask, all right? Um, so this is very on the spot. This is not planned. So, uh, Omar, I want you to tell me, okay, which of these four four quarterbacks – which is the only one that doesn't have more passing yards than Caleb Williams? Okay. Are you gonna go? Are you gonna go Carson Beck? Shador Sanders, Mike Penix, or JT Williams? Which one do you think which one do you think is the only one that has fewer passing yards? Uh Michael Penix, right? Trick question. All of them have more passing yards, actually. Okay. Than wow. Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is eighth in passing yards. Now, should uh, passing yards dictate 
um who wins the heisman absolutely not absolutely the heisman loses all meaning if we do dictate it off of that but i'll briefly step back up on my soapbox um caleb williams for all the the presumption and uh the chatter uh that caleb william gets that oh he should win the heisman again this year you know compared to when he won it last year i feel like he should almost be held to a higher standard um only because uh like I said, only because of the assumption that, that he was going to win it again this year by a lot of major media markets. And again, I'm not saying passing yards should dictate who wins the Heisman. That is the furthest thing from what should dictate who wins the Heisman. It should go to the best player in college football, regardless of position. But I'm just saying that for all the talk that Caleb William gets and for the situation that USC is in where they don't have an Audrey Gestime, they don't have a star running back that really warrants a, a, a more balanced offense, and they don't have a defense that plays complementary football, to put it politely, um, he should be higher than, than eighth for all the talk he's getting. So um, if, if he's fifth in passing yards or fourth or whatever, I don't really think it it bothers me at all, um, at least in that category. But it's like, man, like JT Daniels is beating you out in passing yards with just as many games. Like it just it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And we're definitely going in with the recency bias of last year compared to Caleb Williams this year, man, is is leading his um is leading his team by like narrow victories against Arizona and should not be that way. He, he, I know he suffered four sacks, but like only, only one passing touchdown and you know, okay. Yes. Three rushing touchdowns, obviously, but another two fumbles against the Arizona team that went in overtime at home. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. If you're the Caleb Williams, if you're the prodigy, if you're the, the Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence slam dunk, number one overall pick, Shouldn't happen. So, so I want to bring up an interesting point to you when it comes to back to back Heisman, where uh, Archie Archie Griffin ran for over 1600 yards in his first Heisman season and he regressed, if you can call it that, to 1300 yards the next year. And he still won the Heisman 75. I know, yes, I know comparing the, the voting, the voting, uh, environment from 1974 to 75 is interesting, but I kind of wonder too, where it's like the narrative that, like, hey, no one's really standing out as much um will last i think it i think it honestly will take because all those guys are gonna play head-to-head like like this week bo Nix and michael Penix, uh they're gonna play head-to-head and then caleb williams and you know usc will play washington so i just think honestly i feel like i re- i really feel like as is the pac 12 tradition all those teams will find a way to cannibalize each other in that series of three games um two or three games i think oregon plays usc as well so I think I think uh, the media I think the narrative is there definitely for Caleb Williams. The stats don't have to be there, but the narrative is definitely there. I what I think is what I think is worse is the fact that with each game that USC almost loses to an Arizona or to a team that is almost like not of that caliber, I do think it kind of hurts his um his candidacy for sure um uh, a little bit. I mean, especially like imagine if like he was not like they weren't able to to beat Arizona and like, it's not fair. Wouldn't have been for through any fault of his own really after, I mean, just looking at the missed field goal that happened uh, looking at, I mean, honestly, they almost lost in the first, in the second overtime with that, that swinging gate conversion. Can, can I go ahead? I'm going to make a, a comparison in, uh in the asset the these players are in their current situations. And you'll understand what I mean in just a second. 
Um, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take you back, and you're gonna be thrilled that I'm that I'm saying this as a 49ers fan. Um, I believe it was the 2021 NFC Championship. I want to say, or not, uh, San Francisco at Green Bay. Um, you're you're the Niners fan. Correct me if I'm. That was a divisional. Um, that that was a divisional. divisional you're right. You're right. It was yeah. a divisional. You're right. Was it 2021? Yeah, it was a 2021. Season. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So with the snow and the block punt and all that, right? Okay. Um, would you say that that losing that game was Aaron Rodgers' fault? No, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that losing that game was Aaron Rodgers' fault. Would you say that the blame for not winning that game, the majority of that could be blamed on Aaron Rodgers? Ah, uh, for not winning that. There's a distinction between yeah, yeah, the game definitely. and not winning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that, you see, you see where I'm getting at. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna give Caleb Williams the same comparison that I'm giving Aaron Rodgers. It's the expectation should be there that you can, at, at some point, you just got to put the team on your shoulders and go win the game. Um, and I, I'm not saying Caleb Williams didn't do that versus Arizona. I'm just saying that he. It shouldn't have been as close as he as it was. As yes, he did go put the shoulders on it, uh, but it wasn't. He had to do that because of partially to his own fault, right? If they lose that, that's not on Caleb Williams. He had four touchdowns in the game. It's not on him. But the fact that it was as close as it was, it is partially on him. If that makes sense. Um, and I th- I think Caleb Williams needs to go win more games and not just not lose them. So that's what, but I hope that comparison makes sense. Um, not losing compared to winning. Um, so I think so. I mean, I, I think, I, I think, uh, what I'm drawing from that is USC's offense could have gotten going way more, way earlier against, uh, yeah. against Arizona. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the leader of that offense should it, it have the initiation to get that done. So. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'd have to agree, but I mean, boy, he's got a golden opportunity for you know, for lack of a better term, and no pun intended, against Notre Dame. We're like, I, I've been making the point that Notre yeah, Dame for the first moment. time, yeah. yeah, for the first absolutely. time since 2012, like Notre Dame's must see TV. They were, I can't remember in 2018 them being must see TV where they're on prime time for four weeks. Like, like, like I said last week, like them being on prime time. I can't remember the time where they're like on prime time for like four weeks, even in 2020 when you know they were a lot of the games on NBC, you know, they had a few games, the games that weren't the NBC games were like, you know, relegated to like 3.30, 12 p.m. kickoffs against those ACC teams. But like, you know, these games are must-see TV. And I mean, even then, like the thing that, you know, the most people since the 1993 one versus two matchup, uh, Notre Dame, Florida State, the most people on NBC watched that football game on that network. So um, golden opportunity against Notre Dame this week. But, uh, and for and for USC, it's your schedule is obviously on the road in Notre Dame this week, and then you have Utah at home. Uh, Utah's a good football team. You should take care of them if you're if you're USC. I'm on the road at Cal. Same thing. Cal's Cal's not a bad team, but you should take care of business. Um, and then you have Washington at home, which is a huge advantage, not having to go on the road to Seattle. And then at Oregon and UCLA to wrap things up, I've already talked about the the talent on UCLA's uh, front seven, um, and they're not they're not playing bad this year. UCLA, um, they're they're still a very good football team. So um, I, I think it's an interesting way to round out the year with the last three. Um, 
three three emotional games is difficult. And I'm more referencing Notre Dame here than I am USC. Um, oh, two two emotional games in a row are difficult, but three is almost impossible. I I feel like we saw that where Notre Dame just didn't have the stamina to keep up with with Louisville. Um, and the emotions that were involved in that game. So I personally, for that reason, I think USC should win this game just because Notre Dame is coming off of a, a true marathon um, of, of three very emotional games. And emotional is one thing, but emotional losses are a whole nother. Um, and that's what they had last week of just getting getting it handed to them uh, for lack of a for lack of a better term. So. Um, but yeah, I, I think USC should win this game and I'm not, I'm not on, you know, I'm not against Kayla Williams winning the Heisman again. I just think that it should be, um, I think it should be better merited than it warrants right now. So. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like, like, like you said, like he'll have time to prove himself against Washington and Oregon when those matchups come. And I mean, I think this race is really too, too early to call. I mean, I, I mean, and it obviously is. There isn't really a front runner. There isn't there. I can't. There hasn't really been a September Heisman Trophy winner like in past years. There hasn't been a September Heisman winner. So I think this race will be entertaining and close, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, like um, a Heisman moment should be coming soon from Williams or Penix or Knicks, which I think is a nice segue to our next topic. Um, Bo, Bo Nix versus Michael Penix. Do you think that? the loser would be eliminated from this because I think, I don't think they would be eliminated. I think there's just plenty of time um, for, I guess, whoever loses this game, Oregon or Washington to cover ground. I think that if the loser is Bo Nix, then yes. But if it's, okay. uh, if it's Michael Penix, um, then no, he's just too good of a talent, too good of an arm to, to eliminate this early on. Um, now I will say the matter in which they they lose is the in more important or the manner in which they lose is more important in the manner in which they win. So if it's an ugly win, um, it's fine. Because how many times are we truly when we're thinking about the Heisman and that's the main thing on our mind come like early December? How many times are we like truly dissecting the the nuances of early October games? Not very. Um, so if they if they lose in a in a in a poor fashion, then it's pretty important. Um, then you can oh yay, oh man, he had that blowout loss to Washington, or he had that blowout loss to Oregon and he just couldn't get anything done. But if you have a very impressive showing, uh, of course it's a resume builder, but it's not really something that's looked at under a microscope in, in early December like it is now. So that's my opinion. I'd have to agree. Like, I wish this game happened later on in the season because, like, yeah. as sad as it was looking back, um, the Kenneth Walker game against Ohio State happened at the right time to eliminate Walker from yeah. the highest race through no yeah. fault of his own, which it still frustrates me that the Michigan State pass offense was unable to uh, stop C.J. Stroud that day where it's like like right away they're in such a big hole that I think I – think uh, Kenneth Walker only had six carries that game, right? Or uh, something like that. Some some SEC traditionalists will get mad at me for saying this, but like, doesn't this almost have the feel of like the old school Florida Tennessee games when like you knew the winner was going to be 
in a good position um, when it came time to to dictate the BCS outcome. Um, he knew that the winner was probably going to go pretty far in this thing, and it feels like that. It's early October in the college football playoff era. This isn't like necessarily a time of year where like everything should be dictated, but like it feels like everything will be dictated. So. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you say that, but I mean, Oregon and USC play each other and then Washington and USC play each other. So it's like, my, that, that my yeah, but projections if, are if, hard. I'm, if I'm being honest, I, I, in, uh, I, Oregon and Washington are better teams than USC in my Absolutely. opinion. Washington Absolutely. has the second best argument to be the number one team in the country, yes. even if they aren't placed at the number two. They have the second best argument. I'm not saying that they're the second best team, uh, but they have the second best argument. And Oregon, um, Oregon is, uh, I mean, just a, a very well-rounded football team. What can I say? So absolutely, you know, guy we're not talking about too is like Bucky Irving, like Bucky, poor Bucky Irving, like having a, an amazing year. Um, and really too, like if. It's just sad that the Heisman's a quarterback award because Bucky Irving was amazing in the Holiday Bowl. Over 10 yards to carry, won the MVP award, over 100 yards. Um, you know, that could have been a springboard for him had he not been a running back. So uh, I'm excited to see how the race shapes out. I feel, I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of getting, I'm kind of itching because, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, the, the race in the same way each week. You know, maybe like one or two uh, guys come on, come into the race. Like, you know, ho- I'm really hoping Jawar Jordan. I'm really, ho- I'm really hoping Louisville feeds Jawar Jordan in the, in the coming weeks. Um, but Louisville's ACC schedule is pretty light with the exception of Duke, I think. And, you know, I don't think you'll have like that Heisman moment. And plus, they don't feed him enough. He only has 87 carries on the year. But um, he's very efficient, though very efficient so hopefully Jawar Jordan makes it as a running back purist Louisville is going to go through the same struggles um for attention that TCU did in the 2014 season like TCU remember like was that team um that that probably had the best resume to be in the college football playoff and then Cardell Jones and Ohio State hijacked it but um but man, it's just, it's not the name brand. Louisville is not the name brand um, that other, that other college football teams are and an appearance by Jack Harlow doesn't, um, doesn't boost it as much as I would like. So um, Louisville is a very good football team. Um, now they are lucky that they caught Notre Dame when they did. Um, the only luckier time would be this upcoming week after three emotional games instead of two, but uh, they caught Notre Dame at the right time. They caught it on Saturday Night Football. They caught it when there was there was a lot of energy and, and hype in the house. But um, uh, Louisville is a good team, man. They're gonna go to the ACC championship, and they they could possibly win out. So, geez, uh, technical difficulties. But yeah, so the thing with that though is like. Don't forget about North Carolina, though. That's that's the thing. Like, like I said, the nightmare ACC scenario where I'd, I'd rather not talk about it because it is just such a wild scenario where you have three 12-0 teams. Um, where, like, we can even talk about Drake May coming into this Heisman race, too, you know? Yeah. Because uh, the ACC, the ACC usually has a strong middle, middle tier. There is almost no middle tier in the ACC this year. I think the middle tier consists of two teams, maybe. Wake Forest and Boston College. And like even then, Boston College is a lower tier ACC team in my opinion because their schedule is easy. They have a, they've had an easy schedule and they've even slipped up against Northern Illinois. 
um, and they benefit from an easy ACC schedule. So they'll make a bowl off a pretty, you know, pretty charm and soft schedule. That That's no discredit to them. I mean, Thomas Castellanos is a great quarterback and I'm excited to see what he does um, in that system. I don't, I don't want to curse another BC quarterback though. I don't want to, I don't want to like I did with Phil Jerkovic. I still believe in Phil Jerkovic, but, um, but yeah, I don't want to curse Castellanos like that, but yeah, that's just the thing where it's like, we, I, I don't think we have this conversation in another year in the ACC when the middle tier is stronger, but like, the middle tier is just so weak, you know, one, maybe two, I guess, I guess you can consider NC state being a middle tier as well. So I'd say two, I'd say, I'd say there's only two middle tier teams. I could pull an upset um, against ACC, but that being said, I do think an, an ACC player could be a player in the Heisman. Like we're not even talking about Dylan Gabriel. I mean, Dylan Gabriel definitely entered the race with, with a, with a clutch drive. I think if anyone had had a Heisman moment, I think Dylan Gabriel had a Heisman moment on one of college football's most, easily easily recognizable stages the red river rivalry i mean at noon on on uh, on abc like gabriel had that had that drive too so i wouldn't sleep on him either no absolutely absolutely man what a fun game to watch the the red river rivalry um man that was one of the in a game that has such a a long and rich history um man that was one of the better ones <laughs> that was very good so yeah, so I mean, I I think that puts a ball in the Heisman race for now. Still, still too soon to call. We're just throwing names out, but some new names definitely and faces definitely entered the race. Uh, going on to our games of the week, Jackson. You want to kick us off with the games of the week to watch? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for my first game of the week to watch, I'm gonna go with one that we've we've already talked about a little bit. So I'll keep it short. USC at Notre Dame. Um four games in a row where there's a lot at stake and a lot going on for Notre Dame. I'm talking about um, obviously starting that stri- that streak off with the, the 10 men in South Bend um, and then the win at Duke and the, the horrible loss to Louisville. Um, how this game goes dictates really the attitude going into the bye week for Notre Dame. And then the attitude going into the bye week for Notre Dame really dictates their their uh outcome and outlook on the rest of the season so on the other hand usc is going in here coming off of an 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 unfortunately thrilling victory versus arizona one that should not have been closer competitive as we've already talked about uh there's a lot of chatter about alex grinch the the defensive coordinator for usc i just want to remind everyone he is a two-time finalist for the broyles award which is that goes to the nation's top assistant coach so this isn't some nobody he didn't hire someone out of the stands or or uh someone off of the street in los angeles to to be the defensive coordinator he uh he's pretty good at what he does so um just somehow the the results are not matching the uh the resume so and i mean like who doesn't love notre dame usc really i mean just a traditional intersection not manufactured intersectional rivalry i shall say with everything going on in a conference alignment so i'm excited for that one for sure and i think i think it's probably the best night game of the weekend because um you know i think the no knee in miami that a friend on on twitter um told called for uh for georgia tech the no knee in miami um, not my own. I got. I got. I got to find out who said that really quick. The the mistake in Miami was better, but yeah, I'll credit I like that to you. I, I like. I like. I like what he came up with. I want to have that. Then I want to have that the next time you speak. But uh, and how but, yeah. can we, how can we not like? How did you not learn against Stanford 
Mario Cristobal. Like, my gosh, like going back to the Oregon-Stanford game where pretty much the same thing happened, how do you not learn? Yeah, I, I really don't know how he didn't learn, which I'm still I'm still trying to find um what that what that person called it, but uh or like who you, who you it was. You think maybe only having a a seventy yard practice field uh for Miami had anything to do with it? Um, um I, I'm, I'm clearly I'm clearly clearly that has nothing to do with situational football practices. I'm just I'm trying to poke at their facilities. Um, yeah, no, so I mean. It seems like every week you have a Miami joke, so I'm just I'm just gonna leave that alone. Frankly, I'm just gonna not not get involved with with that fit with a with a fan base there. But um, but yeah, so can't I can't find you said that, but I just want to say that that one's what, not mine. What fan base? My, they Miami. Have fans? Wow. Um. Th- okay. Well. <laughs> all right. Well, that that being said, I guess I didn't see to- any in the crowd. I'm just asking. Going on to my first game. Um. I'm going to go with probably – I mean, everyone's talking about when they talk about the game of the week in the in the Missouri Valley Conference, we're going to talk about the, the battle for the Buffalo Nickel, North Dakota versus North Dakota State, which, like, yes. No, I'm not talking about it. I'm not talking about it. I'm, I'm oh, talking, okay. I'm talking Youngstown State, South Dakota. South Dakota is flying under the radar uh, at the FCS level. They beat North Dakota State for just the second time since they've been a Division One program since I think it was – I think the year was 2009. They've only beat – North Dakota State twice since 2009 and 2012, I think. Um, South Dakota is probably has one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the FCS, allowing 13 points a game. They have Nick Gates and, and Brendan Webb have over have both have over four sacks. And honestly, South Dakota is a throwback. They love running the ball. They only average 19 passes per game. Travis Tice has 430 yards in uh in five games for the for the coyote coyotes coyotes coyotes. Anyway, they play Youngstown State. Youngstown State just upset Southern Illinois, who was ranked in who was ranked in the overall media poll and ranked in several several other play uh, people's polls, including myself, pretty highly. Uh, they beat them thirty one to three. Took them behind the woodshed. Youngstown State loves to run the football too. They got Tyshawn King, who's an who has an averages an efficient six point yards per carry with four hundred sixty four rushing yards and eight touchdowns. Uh, they're allowing 24 points per game on defense, 21 if you don't count the 35 they gave up against Ohio State, which even in itself, being Youngstown State and, and only forcing Ohio State to score 35 points is pretty good. But the most notable thing to happen in that game was their quarterback, was their quarterback uh, Mitch Davidson waddling after um, after a one yard touchdown run, and like that that was just that was just an amazing moment, just just waddling. You know the rest didn't flag him, so, so that's good. But Youngstown State, South Dakota. Both of these teams, South Dakota has a three and one record. They're they're top ten. They're a top ten team in my poll. They're a top ten team in a lot of people's polls. Uh, Youngstown State, um, you know they they're ranked in my poll as well. I'm at, at number twenty two, I think. I believe number twenty two, but they're a top twenty five team. This is a huge game for at large for an at large playoff berth because the Missouri Valley runs through South Dakota State. So for everyone else, North Dakota State, Youngstown State, South Dakota, North Dakota. The path to the playoffs isn't at large, and you want to build your resumes in games like this for Youngstown State, South Dakota. Um, I'm completely gonna go in the the opposite direction, if you could say, and and I am going to talk about the battle for the nickel trophy. Um, I'm gonna go with North Dakota State at South Dakota, which you uh uh so kindly skipped over for me. So thank you. Um, I'm gonna mention a few facts about this game and then I'll get into some of the more nuances. So um North Dakota has not won this game since 2014, 
right? So you might be wondering why I'm talking about that. Um, North Dakota, though, has won three of the last four against NDSU at home, uh, which you would not think considering they play almost every year, but that's not the case. They've won three out of the last four at home. Uh, the last time North Dakota State won by multiple scores in Grand Forks was actually 1997. So it's been a minute. So if you're expecting a dominant NDSU victory, it's it's not commonplace, at least in this rivalry. So um, both teams are one and one in conference plays so far this year. Um, one and two is not the standard for conference play for either of these schools, especially in North Dakota State. So don't expect this to be... Um, Neither neither fan base is happy if they drop this game, especially with what's happened so far in the year. So North Dakota State did lose three players to the NFL, which I think they are used to. What they're not used to, losing another 12 to the, tw- to the transfer portal. Um, they definitely don't seem as dominant as they were last year, but I, I well list three of the things that they haven't skipped a beat on. They're still a top 10 third down defense. They had the highest completion percentage in the FCS. And they have the sixth most interceptions in the FCS on defense as well. Um, so they've got some things going for them, especially on defense and, and passing efficiency. Um, but like I said, this isn't the same dominant North Dakota State team that we've seen. Ideally, both of these teams are undefeated going into it. and They have a combined three losses. So, um, But yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, uh, it's not an easy place to play at all in Grand Forks, um, but we'll, we'll see how it is. So I believe the game's on ESPN plus. Yeah. So it's interesting to point that out because while it's not going to be a matter of making the playoffs or not for North Dakota state, if they lose this game, it'll be a matter of getting a seed, which is important because you, that means you host your second round game you're the home team for the second round game and the Fargo Dome has always been a tough place to play and I can't imagine seeing North Dakota State visit someone in the second round of the playoffs if they don't get a seed a 10 and one North Dakota State with only a loss to South Dakota State definitely gets a seed they absolutely get a seed in my book um but I don't determine that I, I just do one of the po- I just I'm a voter on one of the polls that that shows that so but the thing for North Dakota too North Dakota can put themselves in a good seeding position uh, come selection Sunday, if they beat North Dakota State, which uh, which a nine and two, you say, or, uh, yeah, I guess sorry, an eight and three North Dakota State because the way that the playoffs go, F- FBS losses aren't countable. So in the to the selection committee, there they would be essentially an eight and two team, not counting the loss to Boise State, um, or sorry, not eight and sorry nine and one if they beat North Dakota State. If they beat North Dakota State, nine and one with the loss to South Dakota State. Um, then they definitely are a team that would get a seed in, in my eyes. So huge for seeding and like home home field in the playoffs is important, which we're going to start to see come 2024 with the 12 team playoff where we see how important having that home field is in uh, in that first in that first round. Uh, going on to my next game, staying in the FCS, but going south, we got Chattanooga versus Mercer. This is the battle of two four and two teams. Chattanooga, Western Carolina last week. Let me just say that that's arguably the game of the year in the FCS so far. Back and forth affair. Both teams scored over 50 points. I mean, call that the epic in Cullowee, if, if you can. Um, or was the game in Chattanooga? Either the epic, the epic in Chattanooga or the epic in Cullowee. Um, But, I mean, just a great performance. But out of the SoCon, the SoCon looks, especially with the amount, with the dearth of teams coming out of the Missouri Valley Conference. And then, of course, the CAA really has only one team leading the pack, but a bunch of teams that will contend for an at-large spot, including Rhode Island, U Albany, Villanova. 
this game is huge for both teams to have a to have the at-large berth be in the conversation, especially for for Chattanooga, who lost to North Alabama earlier this year. North Alabama does not look like they'll win the United Athletic Conference. Mercer has a strong defense, contrary to popular belief. I know most people that saw Mercer play either saw them in the FCS kickoff or against Ole Miss when Ole Miss dropped 73 on them. But those 73 points are over half of the points that Mercer's allowed in their six games. They've allowed 142 points. The defense has tightened up. And you're going to see some of the best receiving talent in the FBS, in the FCS, excuse me, in this game. As Ty James has 602 yards for Mercer in, in six games. He has 18 yards for catch and five touchdowns. For Chattanooga, you have Javen Watley with 546 yards, 18 yards for catch and six touchdowns. And he's joined by Jamoy Mays, who has 500, who also has over 500 receiving yards, 17 yards per catch, and also returns the ball, has 266 kick return yards, which I mean, it's just a huge asset to have uh, returning, you know, having a guy that can return kicks in the pros. So I say Jamoy Mays, all these guys are just guys to watch out for for the pros uh, for, I guess, in the NFL. But this game is a huge game in the Southern Conference because it looks like the Southern Conference will run through either Furman or um, Furman or Western Carolina. But to get that third and arguably final spot in the playoffs from the SoCon may have to be the winner of this game. Yeah, you uh you bring up some good points on that. And man, um it really it really speaks as we're talking about all these, like it really speaks to how yes, we are in technically early October, but like man, there's a lot of very influential games going on at all levels of college football, um, regardless of how many playoff spots there are. So um I'm gonna go with uh I, I can't believe we haven't mentioned this game for as much as we talk about group of five football. Um, but I'm gonna go with Wyoming at Air Force for my last game of the week to watch. And I think they had maybe if if Oregon Washington wasn't happening this week, I think you have a, a case to be made for a college game day going to this game as well. Um, one thing I want to point out that a lot of people don't think of Jonah Field with the Wyoming Wyoming Stadium actually has a higher altitude than Air Force. Um, so the usual the usual home field advantage that Falcon Stadium provides a lot of times is, is trivial to non-existent, um, only because the this 7258 breathing in, I'll suffocate. Uh, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> Wyoming is uh is uh used to used to a lack of oxygen, right? So um, uh, not going to get them there. Wyoming has only given up actually three rushing touchdowns all year on the other side of the ball, and Air Force only has three passing touchdowns all year. So in my opinion, something has to give between those two. It's strength versus strength when Air Force has the ball. Um, a, a pair of players to watch in this game, Alex Mock, the linebacker from Air Force, and Easton Gibbs, a linebacker from Wyoming. A, a pair of linebackers that in this matchup, I think, have the capacity to really be a difference maker in the outcome. Both of them have been playing outstanding. Both of them have A grades by PFF so far this year. Uh, Easton Gibbs, particularly, the, the best Wyoming linebacker since Chad Muma got drafted from Jacksonville, um, which I know wasn't that long ago, but it still a very, very good linebacker. Still uh, still top two in the past 20 years, probably, out of Wyoming. So, um, And Alex Mock has been just increasingly, I believe this is his senior year, like if you look at least the PFF grades, I haven't watched all four years of Alex Mock, but like freshman year, 58th grade, sophomore year, 68th grade, you know, uh, uh, junior year, 
78 and then you know this year he's playing outstanding in an a grade so increasingly getting good every year um so those are two guys i'm i'm very excited to see i I believe they're both outside linebackers although i would need to double check on that yeah so um on your point so i didn't catch what you said about air force being surprisingly um i think like i think it was like regarding their rushing stats well, um, yeah, so Air Force has the number one rushing offense, um, but they're they're uh, they're 11th and third down defense and 19th in total turnover margin. So they have some like, OK, sneakily good on defense. It's not their strongest attribute, so it doesn't really get talked about, but they are. So yeah, I would I would say and I think I think it'll be a dogfight for this. One. I think this one's going to be really low score. I think the under will hit in this one. Um, and I just think about the Sam Houston State, the Sam Houston game where like, um, that was just a hard fought game, but Air Force's defense was just lights out in that one, only allowing 80 yards. And of course, that's before Sam Houston's offense awakened. But man, like, I mean, we're in for a dogfight because if there are two teams in the Mountain West that matched up well with each other, it's Wyoming and Air Force because Wyoming runs the North Dakota scheme with Craig Bowl as their head coach, the former North Dakota State coach. Um, so, I mean, they use a fullback. They have a strong downhill run game. Andrew Peasley is a great runner um you know they they always they always get great running quarterbacks which like it, it's kind of shocking that levi williams uh, his last i guess our last memory of him as a, a wyoming quarterback was him running for over 200 yards in the 2021 famous Idaho potato bowl but they reloaded they sure did reload and got andrew peasley to uh to start for them and even sean chambers killing it out in montana state another quarterback that could run well for wyoming so these teams match up well and who knows this may determine either the fiesta or the cotton bowl uh, I'm just excited to see how it plays out. So going on to my last game, and I got I got a I got a quick couple quick hitters too to add to it. So my last game was Maris versus San Diego. I mean, I promise you it was kind of, it was a coincidence. I just found this shirt in the drawer. I needed a college shirt to wear an FCS shirt. But Marist has never defeated the San Diego Toreros in football. They are 0-13 all-time against San Diego. San Diego comes into this game with a one and four record, including a, a loss to a subdivision one. Uh, Colorado Mesa Division Two school, Colorado Mesa, and they have not looked like their usual South, their usual team really this year. Um, I mean, as a Pioneer Football League looks like a race between for the playoff spot because St. Thomas looks like they could win the title game, but they're not eligible due to transitioning rules. But, but uh, the the race for the for the Pioneer Football League's open looks like it's between Butler and Davidson, which is a big game this week. But Marist, uh, they've never beaten San Diego. I think they have a really good chance to break this 13-game losing streak. Uh, they're led at wide receiver by um, Matt. Jeez, my handwriting is so bad. Matt Matt uh, Stiant. <laughs> I, th- I think uh, I think it's a Stianit. Matt Stianit. Jeez, I'm butchering his name because my handwriting is so bad. But I mean, he leads the team in receiving with 22 22 catches for 447 yards and four touchdowns. Um, I'm I'm just gonna look at that name. I feel so bad for butchering his name. Matt, okay, there we go. That was a C. Yeah, Matt Stianch. Matt Stianch for Maris. 22 catches, 447 yards, and four touchdowns. But really, an entertaining weekend in the Pioneer Football League, the non-scholarship league. Maris playing San Diego, looking like they can beat them for the first time ever in in a, in 14 meetings. And then Butler versus Davidson. Um, Butler lost a heartbreaker last week with a with a batted down pass um, in the red zone against St. Thomas. But if they beat Davidson, they control their own destiny for the playoff spot. And that will be their first playoff appearance since 2013, which is great for FCS football. Um, and then another quick hitter, 
Yale plays Sacred Heart. They'll, they'll be playing their first ever Northeast Conference opponent at the Yale Bowl. And the last team that was not UConn to play at the Yale Bowl, though I guess the last Connecticut team that was not UConn to play at the Yale Bowl, you'd have to go back to 1940 to 1946 when the Coast Guard Academy visited the Yale Bulldogs at the Yale Bowl. So historic event happening with Sacred Heart versus Yale and who knows what happens in the nutmeg state. What happens in the nutmeg state stays in the nutmeg state. Um, that being said, um, Jax, I don't, I don't have anything else to add. No, I don't have anything else, honestly. Um, man, no, we just have, it, it, this season's been flying by, so let's just enjoy every week that we can. Um, and man, no, this will be fun. Wyoming at Air Force, though, could very well dictate, um, or, or probably will be the second most influ- influential game on the group of five race for the new year six. So next to the mountain West conference championship, I'd argue. So. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think um, with that game too, just looking at the American, like the American would have an argument. They do have an argument for sure. They certainly do. But you look at Tulane's resume, their best win would probably, it would probably, probably be probably dwarf in comparison, excuse me, probably dwarf in comparison to air force and Wyoming beating each other. And especially with Wyoming beating Texas tech, we're like, yes, Tulane lost to Ole Miss, but their best win would probably be against a nine win Memphis team. And if not that, if they lose to Memphis might be against a nine win SMU team that has two power five losses, including one to TCU. So definitely an interesting, a new Year's six race uh, for sure. But um, until next time, everyone keep enjoying the college football. Uh, beat Troy. Peace, love, and soul.